0: Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. This is episode 157. I want to talk about something that is near and dear to your heart right now. Do you know why I know that? It's because you love somebody. You care about somebody. You probably have several people that you care about, and they are not changing yet. They have an issue. They have something that you see in their lives, and it's not being rectified, and you love them. You care for them, and you want them to change. You want them to have what you have. You want them to have peace. You want them to have a good relationship with God. You want them to spend eternity in heaven. Well, that's what I want to talk about in this podcast. This is episode 157, and the title of the podcast is You should not make a person's problems your main focus. In your normal close relationships, it's not wise to make their problems the primary focus of your interactions. If you do, you may run them off or you may tempt them to lie. So you stop talking about what is wrong with them. They just want you to quit. Stop. Every time I meet with you, this is what you bring up. This is what we talk about. Can we have a dinner, just one dinner, without talking about what is wrong with me? There is a better way to respond to their issues. Now, let me give you a caveat here. This podcast is it's about your friends and family members. It's not about toxic relationships, <laughs> I'm sure you have some of those people in your life as well. I'm talking about people that you genuinely love. You want to be around. You want to be around them right now, forever, for the rest of your life. And you want to be around them in heaven as well, not the, not the toxic people. I'm talking about folks you genuinely love. And they care for you, and you want to see them change. That's why I'd say it's not only your friends, but it's probably your family members, because we want to see our family members change. If you want to read my show notes, you're welcome to do that. This is episode 157. The title of it is, You Should Not Make a Person's Problems Your Main Focus. I'm doing this podcast because this issue comes up all the time. A lot of people that come to our forum, for example, they're asking this question. I have a friend, I have a family member that I love, and they're stuck in this sin, and I want to see them change. That's a very caring thing to do. I I hope I would not have to do a podcast on a person who unloves a family member or unloves a friend and really doesn't care what they are doing. No, we don't do that podcast because we're Christians. God is love and we are loving. What we tend to do is overlove, overcare, over love, over, care, over worry. We're over anxious and sometimes we can press a little too hard when it comes to those that are close to us. When it comes to the problems that I see in the folks who are close to me, Honestly, I am more passive than aggressive on those issues. Now there are people who come to me on our forums, to come to our team, they come for help, they're asking questions, and I give them directive counsel for the most part. That is how I that is not how I relate to my closest friends. You listen to our podcast, you listen to or read our articles and and I've heard this many times. It's really directive. And it's hard sometimes. It's clear. Well, yeah, that's another context. But that's not how I relate to the people who are really close to me. Counseling situations are similar to the forum context. When people come to me on the forum, when people come to me in counseling, they're looking for a clear directive, get to the point, get in my face, answers because it's the seeker who is seeking help. And they don't expect me, and they wouldn't expect you to beat around the bush with them, him hawing around and never getting to the point. No, they come for that. Now, if you have a family member or a close friend who comes to you and says, I'm struggling with this, and I want you to get up in my business, well, then don't be passive. Yeah, meet them where they are and and get up in their business and give them some directive care. Now, that's what counseling is. A person comes to me for counseling for two hours, and they don't want me to waste their time him hauling around. But the way that I live my life with friends and family, honestly, is more passive. As in, I don't press Christ on people. I do not ignore their problems because that would be unloving. But I also don't try to force righteousness on them since I'm not the one who grants repentance. It's important for, it's important for us to know this, not just know it, not just understand it, but to apply it in our lives. In Second Timothy chapter 2, it talks about God granting repentance, and in context, it talks about us being gentle and not quarreling with people. It is God that turns the light on. It is God, he's the one that says, come out of darkness. He's the one that raises us from the dead and sets us upon a rock. We don't do that. A parallel verse could be 1 Corinthians 3, 6, where Paul said that he planted and Apollos watered and reminded us that it's God who gives the increase. And so you don't want to ignore their problems Oh, don't do that. Don't be weak in your faith. Don't be trembling in fear. Speak the truth in love. Don't ignore. You know, the biblical word for apathy, because apathy is not really a Bible word, but if you take apathy and you situate it in Scripture, what apathy is, biblically, is hate, There's either love or hate, and apathy doesn't fit within the love construct. If you're apathetic, you're unloving, you're ignoring, you just don't care, and that would fit within the hate construct. And so we don't ignore problems because it is unloving or hateful. But the other side of the spectrum is just trying to force a righteousness on another individual, when you are not the person that grants repentance, and neither am I. Now, there are many angles to this sanctification dilemma among friends and family. For example, it depends on what they know about God, Christ, redemption, heaven, hell, and the need for salvation. If they don't know those things, you want to teach them about God, Christ, redemption, heaven, and hell, and the need for salvation. But if they understand the problem, which is their sin, and if they understand the solution, Jesus Christ, then don't keep sounding the horn for them to change every time that you see them, always pressing the point. I've seen too many people, for example, make a profession of faith so their family would stop talking to them about salvation People will pray the prayer and, quote, ask Jesus into their hearts because, well, that's what Grandma wants, and Grandma's not going to stop this, and so I'm going to do it. I've also seen this manipulated in church meetings as well. Every Sunday we have this call, and people are looking at me, thinking about me, and, well, I'm just going to go and do it. And I have talked to scores of people who have made a profession of faith as a child, but it was more peer pressure related, more fear of man related than a genuine possession of Christ. I've seen other individuals avoid the person who keeps pressing the issue, or they tell them what they want to hear, like they make a profession of faith, so that they will let them go. And if your relationships become more about avoidance, well, you know, maybe you just need to pump the brakes just a little bit. In fact, I would do more than that. I would encourage you, appeal to you to be a good sovereignist. God rules. God is in control. Rest in God's sovereignty. Rest in his rulership. I typically take the position of a sovereignist. I believe God will do what is right. For example, I rarely worry about a person's salvation, even if that person or persons are my children. I honestly don't. Their knowledge and acceptance of Christ is not a pressure point in our relationship because, well, Rick and Lucia don't make it a pressure point. Oh, we have, again, we haven't been passive. We have taught them about God. We've taught them about Christ, redemption heaven and hell, and the need for salvation, but it's not a pressure point in our relationship. You see, passivity does not mean that I never say anything to those whom I love. When I say that you should be passive or more passive in those relationships, I'm not saying that you put duct tape on your mouth and you never say anything, because there are two ditches in view here. In one ditch is a lack of courage and a lack of love that keeps you from speaking the truth in love. And then in the other ditch is the mini-Messiah who seeks to get a person to change by always talking about it. Now, every relationship that you have, those that you love and you really care about, those who are closest to you, You'll have to determine. You see, there's wisdom between the two ditches, and each one of those relationships are different. And so you don't want to fall into one ditch of never saying anything, and you don't want to become a mini-Messiah where really really changes on you, and you've got to get them to change, and you keep pressing the issue, threatening them, manipulating them, always talking about it. Somewhere in the middle is wisdom. And with each individual... Well, each individual is in a unique place with you and with God. And so you can't cookie-cutter these responses. You must be pneumatic. You must be walking in the Spirit. And so you ask God to give you the wisdom how to stay between the two ditches of passivity and over-aggression. And God will give you that wisdom if you ask ask Him for it, as He tells us in James chapter 1. I have shared Christ with my children. I have not been passive to the point of of gagging myself. We don't we don't do that. They know what Rick and Lucia. They know what their parents believe. We do not we have not avoided their need for Jesus. But we also rest in God's ability to save them. Now, that's where wisdom has to come in for you. This is one of the ways that I think about it, and it helps me. I think about how God saved me. If I can put it in geographical language, I would say that I was a zillion miles from God, and I had no clue how to become a Christian. Think about it. I did not know John 3.16 when God saved me, and I was 25 years old, but God regenerated me. This is how I say it to, sometimes to people, just to drive home the point that God can save anybody regardless of who they are or where they are. I say it this way, quote, I was living in the country now, what that means in the southern part of the United States, when when somebody says, I was living in the country, it means they were living away from the city. They were living, we, we say, out in the sticks, out in the woods. We were living in the country. I was living in the country, not just a, not just away from civilization, but I lived on a road or beside a road that had no painted lines. I lived in a double-wide trailer. That's a mobile home. It's, It's two small mobile homes put together. I knew virtually nothing about the Bible other than the movie, The Ten Commandments. And in that condition, in that situation, God imposed himself into my life, and I became a Christian. I do think some parents worry too much about their children. And in many of those cases, it convolutes how they relate to them, as well as how the parents relate to God. The over parent has an insufficient relationship with Christ. When a parent comes to me or when a friend comes to me and they talk about this person in their life, a relative or a friend of theirs who is not saved or making bad decisions, I mean, I empathize with them, and I'm sad for the person that's making bad decisions, but one of the things that I want to think about is I want to think about the person who's coming to me and how they are processing this. Are they operating from a position of faith, or are they operating from a position of worry and fear and anxiety? If they are, then we have two people who need to change, we have the person who is walking waywardly from God, and then we have the over-worrying caregiver, the over-worrying friend, because they are not trusting God either. In fact, it's kind of ironic. The person who's walking waywardly from God has a particular sin issue, and so does the over-worrying friend or the over-worrying parent. The truth is they both need to repent. But the overwearing parent will not see it that way, at least not initially. They may even compare, if they do realize that they're sinning by overwearing anxiety and fear, they'll compare it to the sin that the other person is doing, the person that they love. And when they do that, they won't see their sin as heinous as the sin of the person that they hope will change. But when the over overwearing parent When they're doing that, then I know that there's two people that needs to change. They both have sin issues, though they are different. And so my appeal to them is to be a good sovereigntist. We must rest in God. Now, does that mean that I don't do anything? Well, I've already spoken to the passivity issue. That's a ditch that you don't want to jump into. But as I already said, our tendency, loving people, the tendency of loving people is not to be passive. Now, if you are passive, may the Spirit of God kick you in the rear end, or may the Spirit of God send a friend to you to kick you in the rear end so that you're not passive or apathetic toward those within your sphere of influence that you need to be caring about. But this podcast is really about those who overcare. And so, as you are being a good sovereignist, you also have a human responsibility. You have a role to play. You want to be in the middle, not aggressive, not passive. And so, you have if you have a friend or a family member who is not walking with God on a specific matter, make sure that they know the Bible has an answer to their problem. Be clear, be loving, be truthful with them. You want to lay that foundation. I mean, if you said nothing and well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, you want to reveal revelation to them. Revelation, meaning God's specific revelation, his word, his Bible. And so you want to make sure that they know the truth and then you can trust God that that they will respond to that truth at some point in the future. Now, you don't want to keep hammering that truth like a hammer on a nail, because that would really be problematic and it will it'll end up hindering the very thing that you want to do, help them to change, because you'll damage your relationship with them if you keep harping on it. And so after you are clear and loving and truthful with them by letting them know that the Bible has an answer for whatever the issue is that they're going through, one of the best things that you can do is seek other contexts and opportunities to be their friend. Don't make your relationship contingent on them getting right with God. Remember that, remember that God loved you while you were a sinner. Yes, he did. God was very patient, and that's one of the things that you want to do with them. Now, of course, I'm not talking about a sinful lifestyle like adultery or abuse, where your soul care needs to, needs to be uh, more aggressive, and it needs your intervention. You don't let sins like that go. You want to jump in on the matter quickly and without reservation, but that's not what I'm talking about here. You never let the long-term detrimental sins continue without imposing yourself into the situation. But most of the sins that we have are personal and internal struggles that are unique to the individual that the pers- that, that, who that person is, and what they need the most is a loving friend who will walk with them through their challenges. You can engage them in these various contexts about their need to change as the Spirit leads, but the majority of your time should be relating to them as you ask God to help you to solidify your relationship with them. And one of the main reasons for interacting with them in other contexts, in other situations, is because you're trying to build a strong relational bridge with this person so that you can carry future truth to him. If you know that you need to rebuke or correct a person about their lifestyle, it would be wise and caring to have a strong bridge between the two of you so you can carry these weightier matters to him at the appropriate time. This is one of the liabilities and challenges of counseling. In a lot, not all, but in a lot of counseling situations, I know that I have to bring hard counsel to the individual, sometimes a rebuke, sometimes I have to correct the person. And I don't know them, and I don't have a relational bridge with them, and it puts me in a difficult spot. And so I try the best that I can within the two hours that we have is to build that relational bridge with this person so that I can bring the weightier matters to them toward the end of the counseling session. Well, with your friend or family member, you're not, you're not under such a, a tight constriction. You're, you're not in such a place to where uh, everything is shrunken down to where y- you're doing so much in so little time. If you build well with them over an extended period in multiple contexts and everything is not about them changing, but you're having fun together with them and you're enjoying the relationship. Too often, a person does not carry truth over a stable relationship, but they, they launch truth like it's a trebuchet. If you don't know what a trebuchet is, you can Google it, but it's basically this humongous slingshot kind of contraption that throws big boulders over the, uh, over the walls. And too often, people don't carry truth over a stable relationship because they haven't built that relationship, because it's always about change, and they end up launching truth like a trebuchet. Or they nag the person so much that it eventually breaks their connection. Rather than dropping bombs on them, this is death by a thousand paper cuts, and they just keep nagging them to death. And so you want to make sure that they understand what the problem is and what the solution is. And then you want to build many other contexts where you're relating with this person. And it's not about change. Imagine if you every time you met with someone, I mean, turn it on you. And every time that you met with someone, all they talked about was some sin in your life. Well, after a while, you will get tired of meeting with this person because you know what's coming, and they'll just keep on and on and on, and, and eventually that connection will be broken. And so one of my points here is that you want to be a good sovereignist. Another point here is you do want to fulfill your human responsibility, and you do want to speak the truth in love. My third point here is that you want to build your relationship in multiple contexts so that that relationship is fortified. And then at the right time, that person may want to come to you because they know that you love them and you haven't made this a big point point of division within the relationship. And then number four is that you guard your preferences. You must not map your preferences Or your timeline over a person expecting them to think like you, your preferences, and to change like you at this moment. People don't change that way. Sometimes I say it like this. The things that you've learned over 20 and 30 and 40 years of living and failing, especially all of you who are over 40, the things that you have learned in 40 years of trial and error. Don't map it over someone else and expect them to change in six days, six weeks, six months, or even six years. People don't change that way. It is wiser to invest in the relationship, overlooking as much as you can while building for a day when the relationship is strong and, And it's ready for you to speak into this. And you'll know it's ready because the person wants to talk to you because they know you will listen and you'll not try to make them meet your agenda because you're not mapping your preferences over them. Now, again, I said earlier, let me say it again again. That if this is some detrimental, consequential sin that you need to engage right now, you do that. But I'm talking about these long-term personal struggles that people have that you want to see them change to become unhooked from, and that may include salvation as well. You want to be careful that you're not forcing your preferences and your timeline over the person. The way that we do this with our children is by making our conversations mostly about what they want to talk about rather than what we want to say. Are you a Christian, for example? Or why don't you, you know, and then fill in the blank, whatever that may be. We make most of our conversation about what they want to talk about, and we engage them according to how they want to talk. Many parents make this mistake of mapping their preferences and timelines over their children. It becomes all about the parents' preferences, desires, wishes, and fears, which can manipulate the child to bend to the parents' preferences because, honestly, it just becomes the path of least resistance for the child. And what you'll have is outside conformity, meaning behavioristically they have conformed to your preferences But internally, they really haven't changed because they haven't been heard, they haven't been understood, and they feel more coerced and manipulated, and that kind of relational dynamic is not good. This is episode 157, You Should Not Make a Person's Problems Your Main Focus. You don't want to be problem-centered. You want to be God-centered. Here are a few things for you to think about as I wrap up this podcast Now, let me restate again that this podcast is about your friends and family members, not toxic relationships. But I'm talking about folks you genuinely love, and they care for you, and you want to see them change. They want to be with you. You want to be with them. You have to be the wise one, the mature one. You have to steward that relationship, and you have to walk somewhere between those two ditches of not being totally passive, not being a wuss about matters, but being courageous, loving, speaking the truth in love, but not coercing, not manipulating, not forcing righteousness, not mapping your preferences and agendas and timelines over them. Somewhere between those two ditches is wisdom. Let me ask you a few questions. Who are those that you love and you want to see them change? Make a mental list, two, three, four, five, fifteen 15 people. But who are those that you love and you want to see them change? All right, here's the harder question. Are you patient with them? Now, maybe you want to ask, have you caved to fear or man that you don't speak the truth in love? But in context of this podcast, are you patient with them? What does that look like? Do your attitudes, do your words, do your actions manipulate them? Do you tempt them to be different around you because they know you want them to change today? How about this? Have they changed to satisfy you? Now, that would be an interesting question because I have to follow up by saying, How do you know? Because a lot of times the parents or the friend, whomever we're talking about here, they don't see how they are doing that to the other person. They don't see how that other person has adapted to them because of this manipulation, even though the parent or the loving friend doesn't realize that they're doing it to the person who needs to change. So have they changed to satisfy you and how do you know And then finally, do you know how to determine what to overlook and what to make a sticking point in your relationship? What am I to overlook? What should be a point of contention? How do I know? This is episode 157. If you want to talk, let me know. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.